The Lodge by Robert McMinn Chapter 16 Still in the dark, I knelt down beside her and tried to find her head. I shook her shoulder, but she seemed to be unconscious. I fumbled forward for the door handle, found it, turned it, pushed the door. It wouldn't budge. This must have been what had happened to Grace when she was locked in before. I tried several more times to open the door, pushing hard, jamming it with my shoulder, and lifting the handle up and down. I didn't want to leave Grace, but the only thing for it was to feel my way back up the stairs, really important that I didn't fall as well, and go back through the door I'd left open. Except it wasn't open. And I hadn't heard it slam. Not like that time in the studio. Instead, it had closed stealthily, possibly as soon as I'd started down the stairs. And of course, it wouldn't open now. I felt my way back down to Grace and then I felt around on her body and on the floor around her to see if she had, in fact, had her phone with her. At least then I might be able to call for help. But she didn't have it. As far as I could tell, she was lying face down, arms stretched out ahead of her, with her feet up on the second step. I tried, in the dark, to arrange her in a more comfortable position, and felt around for the pulse point on her neck. I thought I could feel a very faint pulse. She was still alive. Positioning her on one side, I tried to create enough room in the darkness to put some weight behind the door. I tried it again, a few times with my shoulder, and then decided that the only thing for it was to try to kick the door open. So I sat on the bottom step of the staircase and lifted both feet in the air, stretching them forward to smash into the door at around latch level. The first attempt didn't work, but a second attempt with a more braced position did. The door flew open, and I could see the faint outlines of the kitchen furniture and the shape of the window looking out onto a moonless night. First things first. I took Grace by the shoulders and dragged her out into the kitchen so that there was no chance of her being trapped in the stairwell again. I then went for the light switch in the kitchen. Nothing. Was there a power cut? Luckily the mag light was in one of the kitchen drawers. I fumbled for the right one, got the torch and switched it on. For a horrible moment I thought that everything, electrical including anything with battery power, was dead. But then it came on and I could see. I went back to Grace. She was lying on the kitchen floor and by the light of the torch I could see that she had a nasty lump on her head but that the rest of her skin looked bloodless. I felt for the pulse again and then ran for the landline phone in the hallway to call an ambulance. Fortunately there was a dial tone and I was able to get through. Now we would discover one of the key disadvantages of living in such a remote location. The air ambulance was on another call, which meant there would be a wait of up to an hour for a regular ambulance to come. In the meantime, the operator said they would send a community volunteer, someone trained to give emergency treatment. This turned out to be a woman called Diane Milton, who was no more than 15 minutes away. In the tent's wait... I kept checking on Grace in between trying to get the lights on in the house. I had been told not to move her, which stopped me from carrying her into the morning room to be more comfortable on the couch. Fixing the lights involved going down to the fuse box in the cellar, 
which in turn involved another staircase down with a door that could be shut against me. I took precautions. I put gaffer tape over the latch and propped the door open with two chairs. In the event, there was no further drama. The trip switch for one of the lighting circuits was out, and once I'd flipped it, all the lights I'd attempted to switch on came on. Diane arrived at my door in the promised 15 minutes. I was impressed that she'd managed to find the place without getting confused as to where the entrance was, and without knocking up guests in the stables next door. I showed her into the kitchen. I must say she was very calm and reassuring. She checked Grace's pupils, asked me what had happened, and raised her eyebrow at the splintering around the door where I'd been forced to kick it open. Grace was breathing, with a pulse, and Diane put her head in a brace to keep it from moving. She had been a bit iffy when she learned that I had in fact moved Grace, and when I tried to explain why, I knew I sounded deranged. When the ambulance finally arrived, she let the paramedics take over. As we stood watching them assess Grace and get her onto the stretcher, Diane said to me, This isn't the first time I've been here. The previous owners it must have been. I came here a couple of years ago. Same situation, woman. Older than your wife had fallen down those same stairs. They must be lethal. She didn't survive the fall, but I didn't think it was right. Arresting the husband-like. Do you know what happened? Yes, I said. Uh, They were my wife's auntie and uncle. He died in prison. Wow, that's a tragedy, said Diane. The paramedics took Grace out to the ambulance and asked if I wanted to come with them. I wasn't dressed, however, so I said I'd follow in the car. They told me the hospital they were going to, and I said goodbye and thank you to Diane and went to get dressed. At the hospital, Grace was taken for a CT scan, and when I arrived I was told to sit in a room and wait for news. When it came, it was a mixed blessing. She was unconscious because of a subdural hematoma and needed surgery, but at least she wasn't dead, and there was a good chance of recovery, notwithstanding the long delay in getting her to the hospital. Couldn't be helped. It was where we lived, and that was that. I don't know if it had been Diane who called them, or one of the paramedics, or whether it was just a routine following a 999 call, but the police arrived at the hospital while I was there. I was really pissed off at the time, but I can see now there was a need for an inquiry given that this was the second similar incident at the same property within a couple of years. Anyway, notwithstanding my annoyance at being disturbed and my distracted air throughout, I answered their questions as best I could. But not for the first time that night. I felt I sounded deranged, had to self-censor my answers because it was so preposterous. There were bumps in the night, and Grace got up to investigate. Even that made me look bad, but most of all it was awkward. Why was it your wife got up, sir? Uh, She was awake before me, and perhaps because she had been kept awake longer, she was more frustrated than I was. She was up and out of the bedroom before I could even call out that she should switch a light on. You're saying she went out in the dark? Yes. Or why would she do that, do you think? I don't know. She was angry. Also, some of the lights in the house wouldn't come on. 500-year-old electrics. They didn't react to the joke or didn't get it. Bit of a coincidence, wasn't it? If you say so. But I don't even know if she tried the lights. 
Yet you said she was angry. Angry about what, sir? This wasn't the first night that our sleep had been disturbed and we recently had to pay out a large refund to guests who were staying at the house who had their nights disturbed. Guests? Do you have paying guests in the house at the moment? Not in the main house, no. In the cottage next door, yes. We might need to speak to them. I assure you they're not involved. But could it not have been them moving about in the house? I don't think so. The doors were all locked downstairs, I checked. Uh, disturbed by what then, sir? Burglars? Did you call the police? Not burglars, no. Animals. Sometimes we thought it might be animals, yes. Uh, but why would your wife get up in the middle of the night, in the dark, mind, to deal with an animal? Uh, and why take this staircase you say she didn't use? And so on. Every answer led me further down the path of derangement until the police were sarcastically asking if I was asking them to believe that my wife had ended up with a serious head injury because of ghosts. But what else was there to believe? I'll be asking you to sign a statement at the station, sir, once you feel able to. But if I can summarise what you've told us tonight. Reading from notes. Your wife and yourself were woken in the night by a disturbance. You say this sounded like someone running up and down the stairs but there may also have been voices, and that this wasn't the first time there had been such disturbances. You say your wife got up to see what was happening and you followed. How long after did you follow? I was probably still dozy for about 30 seconds, and then I got up and felt my way out of the room, like I said before. Just trying to establish the time in here, and you say the first thing you did was turn on the landing light. I nodded. So the lights were working. That one was but the one in the stairwell wasn't, and nor was the kitchen light when I tried it later. I should say, when I tried the stairwell light, the other light went out. The stairwell light tripped the circuit. So you say that you noticed that the door at the end of the landing was open, and assumed your wife had gone that way, and then you found her unconscious at the bottom of the stairs, which was when you called the ambulance. Not exactly, no. Meaning? There was the business of finding my way out of the stairwell, which took several minutes. Then I had to find a torch because a fuse had tripped. Eventually then, you called an ambulance, which is why we're here. You'll be aware, sir, that this is not the first person who has been found at the bottom of the stairs in that house. Yes, I am aware. Are we going to be much longer? Not much longer, no, but the first case happened under suspicious circumstances, so we need to establish that this was not the case here. I didn't push her, if that's what you're asking. I just keep getting stuck on the idea that you allow your wife to investigate a disturbance while you remain in bed. I don't see why it's her house. Why shouldn't she investigate? Weren't you concerned it might be dangerous? Yes, which is why I followed her. You have to understand, we've been living there around a year. We've had many, many disturbed nights. There was never anybody else in the house. You said you have paying guests. Sometimes we do. I didn't mean that. Okay. I misspoke. There was never anybody in the house who was causing the disturbance. Then what did you think it was? I shrugged. I couldn't say the words. I was advised to return home. The hospital said they'd call me with updates. Grace was in surgery for some time and then she would be in intensive care. They were trying to drain the blood from her cranial injury 
and they didn't expect she'd regain consciousness just yet. In other words, I was getting in the way. It was daylight when I left the hospital. I couldn't remember where I'd parked the car and wandered around the multi-storey car park for quite a while. In the end, it turned out I'd forgotten what colour it was. I was relieved to get out from under the police, though I agreed to go to the station to make a formal statement as soon as Grace was out of the woods. I didn't ask which station. I'd no intention of going through with it voluntarily. They'd have to come and get me, if they were so keen. As relieved as I was, however, it was still a miserable experience to arrive back at the empty house. All the lights were blazing. It seemed I'd managed to turn them all on eventually. I found the mag light lying on the kitchen floor, batteries flat. The first thing to do was to phone both of Grace's kids and her sister to let them know what had happened. That was an absolutely shattering experience, even if the news wasn't all bad. I had to say, I don't know, a lot, and I hated having to do so. When that was done, I tidied up, showered, then went to my tool shed and fetched my electric screwdriver so I could remove the hinges of all the doors that had opened onto the spiral staircase. The doors were too heavy for me to carry safely away, so I just set them to one side. Then I remembered that we needed to cancel the guests who were due to arrive on the following weekend. This would have been more Grace's department, so I thought maybe Abby might be able to do it. I phoned her and left the message with whoever it was answered her boyfriend or her brother, I assumed. I didn't want to be in the bedroom, so I curled up under a blanket in the morning room and caught up on some of the sleep I'd missed in the night. I made sure my phone wasn't on silent, so I'd be woken if there was any news. I think I must have been asleep a couple of hours when the call came. Grace was in an induced coma, in intensive care, and I could visit briefly this evening if I wanted to. There was no point going to sleep again, so I raided the fridge for some leftovers, and then made a shopping list including fresh batteries for the torch, and went out to the supermarket. When I returned around 90 minutes later, Abby was waiting on the doorstep. I got some garbled message from my brother, she said, I'm sorry... I was out. What happened? I led her in and explained to her that Grace had fallen downstairs and was in hospital, so there was no way we could accommodate guests that weekend. She understood immediately and logged into the computer to email the clients and had promised them a refund. Yet more refunds. Be careful what you wish for, I thought. I hadn't gone into the circumstances of Grace's fall, but when Abby had done that and came into the kitchen to find me, I was still putting the shopping away. She saw that the door to the hidden staircase was leaning against the wall. She didn't say anything, but gave me a look. I decided I hate the whole idea of a hidden staircase, I said. I don't know if I want a door there at all, but I definitely don't want a hidden door. A future owner might though, so I'll put them in the basement. They'd be better off in the barn, was all she said by way of a response. They might get damp in the basement and warp. Then they wouldn't fit in the gap if you wanted to put them back. Feeling strong? She agreed to help me put the doors out in the barn, which took us about half an hour because we had a cup of tea between the second and third door. I suppose some of the heat from the kitchen will escape up the stairs now, she said, while we were drinking the tea. Oh well, 
The upstairs could stand a bit of extra heating, I said. Well, the kitchen is often too hot. It was as if she wanted to hang around. She helped me move the final door, and then offered to stay and help me out for a bit if I needed it. Do you want me to make you some supper? I said no. I would get something on the way back from the hospital. She was an attractive girl. Long, auburn-tinted hair, freckles, an open, pleasant face. She had an athletic body and sympathetic eyes. As she was offering to stick around and help out, I couldn't help thinking how it would look if the police should call. Christ. Last thing I needed. I wouldn't have accepted the offer anyway, but I was glad to have turned her down. She told me to stay in touch and said she'd be back on Saturday to clean the stables after the guests there left. I checked my watch, then locked up the house again and drove back to the hospital. It was around 7.30 in the evening when I got there, and I was allowed to sit next to Grace in her intensive care room for an hour. <laughs>